Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChampaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 58 and we're honing in on an exciting end to the Women's Super League this week. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me is my good friend Mark Carey. Mark, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan Bailey. Um... It's a big week in the world oh. of, in the world of Ryan Bailey, is it not? <laughs> it's a really big week, and it's a week that I've been uh, dreading mm. for for some time. Actually, for thirty um, years, we might for say for thirty years, because, I've been dreading this this year because yeah. Ryan, um, for the listeners, Ryan Bailey turns thirty years of age on uh, Thursday, Thursday, twelfth yes. of May. For all those listeners who want to send him a lovely message, either. <laughs> Uh, either at Fanalytics Pod or at is it at Ryan Bailey fifty seven if they want to. Yeah, tweet I mean, you. It'll be, I'm too old to use Twitter now. I'm not even sure anymore, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, that looks also be embarrassing when no one sends me a message. So, uh, so cheers for teeing that up. Uh, if for anyone who does know me, um, I've been freaking out about getting old for a very long time. I remember at the at the <laughs> a long time ago, at the age of twenty three, I freaked oh. out about turning twenty three. So you can imagine how uh, how I'm feeling with a couple of days left in my 20s. Um, mainly because, actually, I don't know about you, whenever I used to play, you know, football manager, FIFA, et cetera, et cetera, and I used to do career mode, um, I <laughs> I adopted a policy a couple of times of never buying a player over 30, which wow. now I'm there. That, that, that time, you know, used to seem like a real ripe old age, didn't it? Uh, and here we are, well and truly 
past my peak. So, past, well, yeah. well, arguably past your peak, and this is what I'll, I'll maybe come on to. But there's a lot of players now who are born um, beyond the year 2000, which it mm. just still doesn't get old. And I mean, it's no longer a shock, is it? That used to be a shock when it was like so and so was born in 2001 or something. Yeah, but now that Whereas is now it's 20 year olds, right? Like, that's actually not even that young for a professional footballer anymore. So, exactly that. Yeah, um, I mean, we've done. Um, about being past your peak or not. Mm. What is the peak age for a footballer? We've done that in previous episodes. But there's certain players, Ryan, who age like a fine wine. And I was going to get your thoughts as to who they might be. I mean, this season especially, um, I'm thinking Robert Lewandowski. I'm thinking Karim Benzema who is having the his best season of his career goal scoring wise and yeah. that's at the domestic level and we don't even need to mention just how much he's he's having it at the Champions League and the European level so yeah. plenty of players who are aging like a fine wine and not necessarily past their peak Ryan Lewandowski seems like he's been over 30 for a very long time like I don't ever remember thinking Lewandowski's a young up and coming player do you know what I mean he's just always sort of existed <laughs> Benzema less so maybe but bet you're right Benzema is definitely having a Having, having a season and a half, isn't he? But he's always been good. He's just always been a little bit overshadowed, hasn't he? Overshadowed by argue. a certain Cristiano Ronaldo, also another player. Who's definitely well over 30. Yeah. <laughs> About well over 30 and still scoring for fun. Um, mm. What You know, all things aside, you know, don't want to talk about his all-round game, the controversy surrounding that, but he's still yeah. scoring a lot. So I think there's plenty more years in you, Ryan. I mean, at the moment, physically, you're in a better shape than I am. I'm only on one leg still. So <laughs> I'm not sure you can count being crocked as, uh, <laughs> as, as, as being in bad physical condition. But, uh, but yeah, fair enough. I'll take that. Um, it's interesting, actually, because actually that... I, I was trying to just think then who these players over 30, who I would say would... Modric came to mind. Also. But, but that, whole, that whole Real Madrid midfield is actually well over 30, isn't it? Which, actually, this is completely off topic. Well, it's not really, but it, it, when I was watching, uh, you know, last week when Real Madrid uh, came back in the in the 90-whatever-it-was minute and scored two goals against Man City in the Champions League, for anyone who didn't watch that game... Where actually, were I, you? I don't, I don't think there was anyone who didn't watch that game. It was one of the greatest uh, five minutes I've ever seen of football. Um, but I was going to ask you what your opinion on this was, because there's a lot of chat going round about... This is always a phrase I've taken issue with, sort of experience or pedigree in a certain competition and you know like uh, Real Madrid are experienced in the Champions League etc etc but by the end of it loads of those te- loads of those players within the lineup weren't even like I think Modric had gone off and a few mm. others had as well what's your opinion on on being experienced in a certain competition you get that all the time with teams like Real Madrid don't you then PSG are not experienced in the Champions League blah blah Man City are not mm. experienced in the Champions League depending on who's in their team or what what form they're in etc there's always a some sort of pundit goes goes well you know they've got pedigree in this competition mm. I've always just wondered what you thought about that because I always thought that was absolute nonsense but then the fact that Real Madrid came back and did that I was like oh well maybe it's true then who knows they just refused to be you know beaten yeah I don't know how much it's a part of the kind of and I don't want to use another sort of easy term of like the club's DNA and things like that because as you yeah. say the actual players on the pitch compared to those who'd won in recent years going back to sort of 2000 what was it 16 17 18 where they yeah. won it three years on the bounce. There's not there's a selection of players who also won it back then, but as you say, they weren't on the pitch when the when the comeback came. So no. there's, yeah, there's all the other narratives, isn't it? Of just yeah, this club expects to be in finals and things like that. Exactly but then the actual that, yeah. individual personnel who's kicking the football on the pitch yeah. aren't the same as those who were still winning it maybe in decades or years gone by. So there must You're be so right. 
Something. It's that phrase, it's, they know how to win, they know how to get through the Champions they know how to win semi-finals, blah, blah, blah. I just always find that a bit rubbish, to be honest. But I do, um, I do agree when you actually think about, especially given our podcast, we're talking about the technical side of it, the analysis mm. side of it, there's, it's a bit of an easy narrative. I understand the, the fans' expectations to be in finals and to win leagues and titles and stuff because they've been acclimatised to that if you're a Real Madrid or a Manchester United, etc. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I... I what I would say about the, the PSG thing, I understand that where not necessarily as a club they have a, a mental block, but in recent years, the likes of Neymar and Mbappe and a lot of the, the squad who have tried and failed to get over the line in recent years, mm. there must be something there. But that is because they are the same players over a number of years. But to kind of yeah. work back up to a decade ago and say that this club just knows how to, to win, it is different players. But then they are then elite players who play for the likes of Real Madrid, so they yeah. will be able to find a way. I don't know is the is the short answer. It's a bit of an unquantifiable, yeah. isn't it? It is absolutely, which we don't deal in those on the football fans. Not at all, do we? So uh, we only go for hard cold facts, Correct. as has been said in the past. And my my uh, hard cold fact, Ryan, is that you turn thirty <laughs> years of age. That's a number. That's such a hard cold on fact. Thursday, oh, dear. Good grief. Well, wish me well, everyone, because I won't remember how to press record on a podcast after Thursday. It's all going to be downhill from here. So uh, it's been fun while it lasted. But anyway, should we, uh, should we get on with the final episode that I'll record in my 20s? Let's get on with that. Right. OK, Mark, in this episode, we are going to discuss uh, a really exciting end, actually, to the Women's Super League. Now, for those of our listeners who follow the Women's Super League, you will know that it was a very exciting culmination on the last day, a two-horse race uh, that Chelsea went into with, with the advantage. They just needed to win, didn't they? And then Arsenal also could have won, but then there were points ahead, right? Yeah, there was a time when Arsenal were on to win it. Basically, mm. um, but it was it was a formality in the end. Chelsea beating Manchester United four two, um, and they won the league. Yeah, fifty six points. Arsenal on fifty five. So they beat Amazing. them by by one point. And any league that finishes on the final day, where obviously it is between first and second, you just love those ones where you are kind of panning Absolutely. between the two grounds. It swings from one to the other, and then obviously there's the eventual victors. I, I just love a final day title decider. Am I right in thinking in saying that Chelsea have won? five out of the last six Women's Super League titles. Yeah, and this is their third in a row. And if I'm not too mistaken, because I, I think it stopped, obviously, for COVID, that this is the first title of those three that they'll actually be able to celebrate with the fans on as well. That's or, amazing. did celebrate with the fans on. So um, it's been a you know a long time coming to be able to, to do that. And I actually helped um, Michael Cox um, of The Athletic with, with a piece on Chelsea women um, about how the season kind of went. And rather than... The expectation being nowadays in the modern kind of Twitter world as well is that everything has to be fantastic and there's superlatives and there's hyperbole. And, you know, when you win a league, you have to win yeah. basically every game in, in the men's and the women's league. Um, and Chelsea have sort of ground this one out this season. They weren't too kind of remarkable. They didn't steamroller everyone. They ground out quite a lot of um, They had wins. injury issues, didn't they, this season? Yes, exactly. They've had sort of disruptions and they just... F- found a way basically to, to get yeah. over the line really solid defensively ultimately um, and yeah ultimately won it and as I say it was the, the third title in a row for Chelsea so as they said London is blue and England is blue London is blue I I don't know about you I am a massive fan of Emma Hayes oh, the yeah. manager I, just everything she says just makes me sort of smile because of the way she says everything but also she's just so insightful and 
clearly just an amazing coach in terms of what she's achieved with this Chelsea team. And it's actually no mean feat, is it, to win five out of six? That's that's pretty impressive. That's yeah, that's big numbers. Yeah, and to get to the Champions League final last season as well. Um, yeah, to, you know, to do it on multiple fronts, they did eventually fall short against Barca Femini, who we will come on to, I'm sure, mm. um, very shortly. They are just a, a class above, but. Um, yeah, fantastic. And I think I saw something on Twitter um, only today about how she's doing this and she's got you know a young child as well. It's so empowering for her to yeah. be an example to other people as a mother who is operating at the highest level in the women's game. Yeah. Um, a fantastic example to everyone else. Do you know what? So we've wanted to talk about the Women's Super League uh, for a little while and we've always mentioned women's football a lot, but it's something that I think is increasingly becoming more popular and certainly more accessible mainstream-wise to people who didn't necessarily follow women's football in the last few years. I know for a, you know, for a start, I know that whenever I scroll down my Twitter feed at the moment, I see so much women's football content, which is brilliant. There's so much more to read, uh, especially from your colleagues at The Athletic, which we'll come on to very shortly. Um, but, you know, and, and also I went to, I've been to a couple of Arsenal women's games now because I actually live relatively close to Meadow Park Stadium, which is where Arsenal women's play. And also I have to say, when, I, when I've been to the games, I, I've said in the past, haven't I, that uh, my unpopular football opinion is that I much rather watch in football at home in the pub or on the TV because I'm not a massive fan of the atmosphere. Um, I actually love going and watching Arsenal women's team. The atmosphere is so nice, so friendly and supportive. And it's also just amazing because which, you know, I I think the charm of it as well is that you can be so close to the game. It's absolutely phenomenal. Like I was, I was stood in the stand, in the stands, but on a low level, behind the goal when Beth Mead scored an absolute rocket from range and I literally saw it swerve hmm. top corner right in front of my face um, and just the whole experience is just amazing but the support I, I don't know what the support for women's football was like five years ago necessarily in the stands I can't claim to have, have gone to games and know um, not from a lack of wanting to but maybe from a lack of exposure and, and how the game's growing but it'd be really interesting to know how how much the popularity has grown in recent years because obviously the 2019 Women's World Cup was massive, wasn't it, in terms of growing popularity for the game? But the appetite was fantastic and the the atmosphere, I loved it. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I do think there was, especially in this country, a moment in that 2019 World Cup. But I think that it's it is it's about exposure and about coverage and the Sky Sports coverage as well. That's that's been mm. for WSL has been brilliant. I've I've enjoyed watching that as well. Karen Carney's obviously a fantastic pundit. It'd be really good to get her on. I think if we could try and get it her would on be very good podcast. to get. If you're listening, Karen, <laughs> we'd we'd love to have you on the podcast. Of course, she's listening, Ryan. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I do think the coverage of that has been exceptional as well, which is only going to obviously then improve. And if you can give as much dedication and time to that, then it's it's only going to. Um, it improved the appetite for it and you went to to Meadow Park as you say um, that was for the Aston Villa game was it as recently? it was when they thumped them 7-0 7-0 and we went to the I think we posted it on our socials as well we went to the to the Arsenal Barcelona game in the Champions League which we did yeah we can come back to but um, yeah I, I think is Arsenal your team then if I, I, I never ever would have said I support Arsenal men's team because as we know, I grew up as a guilty Man United fan in the time of Roy Keane, Vieira, etc. So Arsenal back then, no chance. But I've, I've got to say, I'm a little bit of a now a guilty Arsenal women's fan because they're now my local team. So I'm thinking that that's, that's where I'll go watch my football from now on, to be honest. And so local that didn't you see them 
out walking sometime. What was what was this story again? I did. Oh, it was it was brilliant. I I've just moved house, as you know. So in my new local town, I went to go pick up uh, a, a dessert from a bakery that we were taking <laughs> to a friend's house, and I walked and and I walked up to. I, I quickly swung in. I parked just outside this shop. And I saw these massive cars, you know, like really nice cars outside. And I'm thinking, hello, who's, who's, who's come to get their pudding from here today? <laughs> and, uh, and literally, as I walked into this bakery, it was uh, about seven of the Arsenal women's team walked out, including Beth Mead, Vivian Miedema, uh, Jordan Nobbs. Vivian Miedema is, is my favorite player. Um, and they all walked out. And I was so starstruck. It was it was ridiculous. I, but to the point where I think I was just in the doorway of the bakery, like staring. And they must have been like, who is this creepy mm. guy who's not moving out of the way while we're trying to come out of the thing? But I, I just, I absolutely bottled it in terms of, well, I, I never want to be that person who goes, go have a pitch, please. Yeah. But I kind of wanted to prove that I'd just seen seven of the Arsenal women's team in, in a bakery. Um, so again, for all the Arsenal women's players who are listening, that apologies for standing in the way. But yeah, it was it was a pretty cool moment. I, I'm not sure anyone believed me when I actually told them, but but it was true. Yeah, you always kind of need need proof. But no, I, mm. again, they're massive examples to to everyone, and I think it's always good to to have those role models. These are these players that you're talking about: Jordan Nobbs, Beth Mead, Viv Miedema are household names now. You know, which yeah. I think is a, is yeah. a real good thing. They've got you know they're such um, role models, as I say. Um, so plenty to to unpick, I think. Well, absolutely, and it's quite handy now, Mark, that you work for the Athletic because it means that we are able to ask some of your colleagues who know way more about certain things than we do to to come onto the podcast and talk about it. So we have actually asked uh, Charlotte Harper to come on to the Football Fanalytics podcast, who's a colleague of yours. She is, yes. Charlotte Harper is uh, one of our women's football writers at The Athletic. She's also a commentator for um, for BBC Radio 5 Live for the, the WSL. Our second 5 Live commentator on the podcast, Ryan, after John Murray, oh, okay. of course. Um, and Charlotte's great. She's she, The pieces that she writes are fantastic and she's got so much insight. So we thought it'd be a good idea to pick her brains on everything that happened in the weekend just gone, the drama that unfolded, um, and a bit of a broader conversation about women's football. Let's do it. Well, we are delighted to welcome Charlotte Harp onto the podcast. Charlotte, thank you for coming on the Football Fanalities podcast. I uh, I would introduce you to Mark, but you actually know Mark, so that that's kind mm-hmm. of a bit pointless. How are you doing there? You all right? I'm very well, thank you. Um, really excited to be on the pod, and yeah, uh, very lucky to work with Mark as well. Very lucky to work. Oh, Everyone's just lucky to work with Mark. She's a very good liar, is Charlotte. Oh, there you go. Um, Charlotte, we're going to start right at the end, really. I mean, it was the obviously the uh, culmination of the Women's Super League uh, this weekend. Chelsea lifted the title on the final day. I believe you were there. How, how, what was it like? I was. And it was a bit of a blur, to be honest. Um, one of the best games I've ever seen. Chelsea 2-1 mm. down at half-time. Like, you just haven't heard that. Um, in the WSL this season and there was a real bite to it, a real edge. Um, the WSL is normally celebrated with the, the family atmosphere and yeah. targeting a different kind of audience, which is great. Um, you don't get that kind of animosity or hostility in, in a crowd so much as the men's football. And it wasn't hostile at Chelsea in terms of discomfort, but there were yeah. definitely... Chelsea fans putting Manchester United um, in a, an uncomfortable area in terms of booing throw-ins if they were time-wasting and things like that, which just, just created another sense of occasion 
uh, for the last day of the season. That's that's really interesting actually because I actually just said to Mark uh, previously I I went to watch Arsenal versus uh, Aston Villa a couple of weeks ago um, at the seven nil game where they where they won and um, the atmosphere was just so friendly and lovely but obviously that game kind of when they were four nil up didn't have too much riding on it but is that kind of good to see like do you, did you kind of like that it was a bit more like that was was that a good thing for for that final game yeah definitely it adds to the drama and you can see the players feed off it as well Euro Wrighton when she scored um to put Chelsea ahead 3-2 for the first time in the game she like roared and you don't normally see that um passionate aggression i want to say and she went really up close and personal to the fans. And I think that's the first time we've seen that emotion and that drive from the players. And, you know, Kings Meadow just erupted when, when that goal went in. I think, I think as well, if you were to see that, just look at the results by the end of the game, it would have looked maybe kind of comfortable. But there was a time when Arsenal were were ahead they were going to to win the title as you say at half time I think or certainly during that first half Arsenal were on to to win the title but do you think I mean I, I said to Ryan before I did a piece with Michael Cox which contributed towards showing that Chelsea kind of dug this one out a little bit this season it wasn't all kind of a, a walkover they they ground quite a few results out do you think ultimately I know they only beat Arsenal by one point do you think it was you know they were deserving winners ultimately by the end of the season yeah I think so um as you said they they ground results out and and they learned to win ugly. Uh, they mm. didn't. Emma Hayes said they they learned how to. You don't have to pass the ball into the net and score a perfect goal. You know, one nil wins against Aston Villa and Birmingham. They really went um, to the edge there, but they they struggled with injuries as well. Uh, huge injuries to Magdalena Eriksson, their captain, Panilla Harder, yeah. uh, Sam Kerr, and G were absent. With the Asian Cup, Menelie Loipols is pregnant, and yet they still managed to win. Um, so, deserved winners and that consistency, um, definitely. And uh, individuals who became a collective and, you know, a, a sum of their parts, really. I've got to say as well, Charlotte did a fantastic piece which summarised all of this, which we can put in the a link in the bio um, for this episode. Everything that you just said, perfectly written um, in a piece out uh, this morning, uh, I believe, at the time of recording. And in terms of, so am I right in thinking that Chelsea have won five out of the last six now, Charlotte? Is that right? Titles? Yeah, five out of the last six titles. Is this the most? Is this the most to the wire one that's happened then in, in recent seasons, or, or has this been the sort of closest they've been run competitively to someone else pipping them in the, in those five wins? If you see what I mean. I've got to be honest, I can't quite remember all kind of five off the mm. top of my head. Definitely the last three. Uh, this is the closest it's been um, in terms of goal difference because you know at half time Arsenal were winning on goal difference. Um, mm. and, and would have lifted the trophy had the scores stayed the same. And Arsenal were, were leading for a large majority of the season. Um, so it was, you know, the fact that it went down to the last day um, shows how tight it was. I think from my perspective, going in, I always back Chelsea on, on the last day of the season. Yeah. Um, just because it was in their hands. They knew they had one job to do and they and they did it. Yeah, and a fantastic win, uh, ultimately. And 
I want to kind of broaden it out to, to wider Europe now, Charlotte, because you've been to some historic games recently. You've been to, to the New Camp and the, the Parc de France for some record attendances, really. I wanted you to sort of share, again, you've done some fantastic pieces on The Athletic about it, but just tell us a little bit about, I guess, your experience. I know from speaking to you that there was a, a slightly different atmosphere between those two stadiums in itself. Definitely. Um, Barcelona, it was more kind of a carnival a festival and and again that was a hostile crowd against Real Madrid but there were it was a celebration those you know 91,500 plus people um wow yeah and it was i was walking um with a colleague um down towards the stadium and you could hear the chants but they weren't a uh, guttural chance of male fans. It was a mix of men and women, and the first time I've heard that before. And I, yeah. And I looked to my colleague. I was like, I'm so excited. It was, it was just that buzz, and uh, it was one of the highlights of my life. I think the the piercing noise of the whistles against the Real Madrid players, and we were in the press box, and the Barcelona communications team were delaying the announcement of attendance because they wanted to wait until they had everybody in the stadium. So I think it got announced in 80-something minute. And wow. the communication press team thumped her hand on the table and I thought, well, they've either just missed it or just got it. And right. the relief for them as well, they, there, were, there were tears in the press box, I think, because uh, it was a message to say, we've put on a show and people have come to see it. Amazing. I mean, I saw uh, I saw your video from that article where you just sort of did a bit of a pan around the stadium, and it was like raucous. It was like it was amazing. You, you, like how many did you say it was ninety odd thousand? I should know this off the top of my head. The first attendance I think was ninety one thousand wow. five hundred and fifty eight, and then they broke it again uh, when they played uh, Wolfsburg in the semi final. Wow, wow. And and so then, how did that then differ from the part de, de Prince recently? PSG obviously losing to, to Lyon. Lyon now in the final against Barcelona. Um, how did that differ? It was uh, a lot more um, a kind of acerbic uh, in terms of the PSG. The ultras mm. were banging their drums and didn't stop. There were firecrackers, there was smoke, and, and they really uh, created that atmosphere for PSG. Of course, it was um, 43,300 and something, uh, which was you know, half of Barcelona. So the feel was um, not as big. But having said that, uh, they still packed out the stadium and it's a, a record for a domestic women's game in France. Wow. Um, and, you know, PSG have done it really well because uh, Barcelona normally play at the Johan Cruyff Stadium, which is only a capacity of 5,000. So after that world record on the Wednesday. They then went and played a league match on the Saturday and 3,999 people came and turned up to that league match wow. compared to, to 90 or one odd thousand. Whereas the Parc de Prince, they built it kind of gradually and organically. Um, so, you know, those attendances, they're just, they're not one, they're not one off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there'll be more of those to come. Wow. And, I was going to ask a question, Charlotte. So, like, uh, you know, I, my following of women's football in, in recent years, I, I think, to be honest, like a lot of people since the 2019 World Cup, I, I 
all of a sudden not not from a lack of interest but but from just being ha- having exposure to it and and seeing more and and all of a sudden wanted to follow it are the European leagues in women's football further ahead than we are back here in terms of because those numbers of attendances you're saying like that's absolutely huge isn't it do, do you get that in the WSL games anywhere near at the moment because obviously as I said I've been to I've only ever been to Arsenal games before I haven't been to a Chelsea um, women's game but what, what kind of numbers are we looking at here yeah it's a good question I think what we've got to point out is those are Champions League games right uh, and people love something when it's at stake and, and as you said, there's something riding on it. Um, and we didn't have any other teams in the Champions League at those stages. The WSL attendance record, I believe, was from the Tottenham Hospital Stadium uh, before COVID. Um, I can't remember the exact figure, around high 30,000s. Um, but you know, attendances are still an issue in the WSL. You're thinking, OK, um, we, we've got to maintain a fan base that turns up every week. But I also think the main, not the main reason, but part of a reason for going to the new camp is the occasion. Mm. Like tickets were cheap. Um, it's a lot less hassle um, compared to a men's game in terms of um, buying tickets in advance and the price and you were able to bring your family and there mm. were young, you know, children of, three-year-olds and plus um, from right the way up to grandmothers. Um, so the accessibility there at the new camp and having that chance to go to such a historic uh, occasion, it will be interesting, you know, if Chelsea were to play at Stamford Bridge, how many they would pull in as well. I know Arsenal have played at the Emirates uh, recently in the North London Derby, but attendances haven't been as big as expected, I would say. I mean, it helps as well that Barca Femini are, especially this season, one of the best teams going. I looked at the the table, obviously they're top of the league um, in in their domestic league, and it's 29 games played, 29 wins. Their goals for, goals scored is 157 and 10 conceded. So they are absolutely on fire. We obviously saw them earlier in the season, didn't we, Ryan, against we Arsenal did, yeah. at the Emirates, and they absolutely walked all over Arsenal. They were so, so good. Of course, in the Champions League final against Lyon, who are the, well, it's almost like Barcelona are the new kids on the block. Lyon have, have been around the, the block a few times in terms of their European pedigree. Um, and it's something, again, you wrote about Charlotte, wasn't it? That Lyon, they're, they're back, but were they ever really away? You know, Barcelona against Lyon in the final. Who do you, who do you tip to win? Can you tip anyone to win? Well, you're the first person who's asked me that, actually. And I, <laughs> On I, have spot. Some, I, I need to, I'm going to cop out. I need to give it some more thought, but yeah. um, I might regret this. <laughs> I, I can't call it. Like, as you said, Barcelona are the new kids on the block. So there's been a huge amount of noise surrounding them, but also they play electric football. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, Leon... I think you can understand if they felt a little bit aggrieved of how much attention Barcelona have got. And it's like, hello, yeah. we've won seven of those Champions League. <laughs> you've won one. Yeah. Just, you know, pipe down a little bit. Um, <laughs> Back in your box. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, Leon were reigning supreme for so long. They won five consecutive Champions Leagues up until last year. So, um it, it really is that kind of chic, snappy, trendy um, 
and and that's not to diminish Barcelona's football at all, but the ones grabbing the headlines compared to the juggernauts of Leon, who you know grind victories out, and even against Paris Saint Germain, uh, there were still gaps in their play. But having said that, you know Barcelona then lost to Wolfsburg on their return leg two 0 which was really surprising, mm. having beat them five one at the New Camp and then losing two 0 And I think mentally they just switched off of like we're through, um, weren't really at the races. So I can't call it at this stage, which is it is a cop out. No, I think that's fair. I do think that's fair, and I did absolutely put you on the spot. Um, so without putting you on the spot any further, before I want to give maybe a comment about the, the data side of things in, in women's football, we've obviously got the exciting women's Euros coming up in the summer. And I think this is going to be another opportunity to, I guess, broaden the exposure of women's football internationally. Um, how exciting do you think that will be for, for the exposure broadly and internationally? It's really exciting. I, I just hope that people turn up and um, and support it all the way. I think you can get quite into a bubble of, you know, the Euros is happening and we know it's happening because it's our jobs. Uh, but it's got to appeal to a, a wider audience and not the appeal. It's got to be marketed in the right places. So in those host cities, in Rotherham, in Sheffield, in Southampton, people have got to know about it, the locals. Um, and those buying tickets as well, it's got to be a kind of uh, a synergy all as one. And, and you, I know that the organising tournament have put on the roadshow for UEFA um, Euros that is taking place in each host city. They've also combined with the local arts councils as well. So they're doing a lot around that to drum up the support. It's going to be a fantastic occasion to put the best talent on, on the biggest stage. And I think, you know, come the knockout stages, people are going to sit up and think, wow, these players are damn good. Mm. 100%. Next thing, Mark's going to ask you tip to win that as well. You know, he's going to stick you on the spot. <laughs> I'm not that harsh. I don't make the same mistake twice. But do you have one? It sounds like you have one. Again, it's it's a very open race. I think um, France are looking really, really strong uh, in terms of the quality that they have. Uh, just depends how um, they come together on the pitch. Spain uh, have a core from Barcelona who know each other inside out. Again, different coach, different playing style, but they were the cookies' favourites. I think that's quite optimistic, considering that they lack experience in major tournaments. Sweden uh, are really the ones to look out for. They even they released their shirt, and on the inside collar of their shirt, their um, uh, match analyst uh, wrote a guide of how to stop Sweden. I saw this, and I, and I, if that's not audacious enough i don't know what on the it is. inside like, of the you know, collar yeah on the inside of the collar like this is how you stop sweden and um they've, they've written everyone can read it you can read the match analysts uh, report of uh, a step-by-step guide of how to beat us because we're that good oh my god it's, i love that it's honestly it's fantastic and it does bring me perfectly what a brilliant segue that was as well because there's honestly ryan there's past maps there's all sorts i'll send it to you and i'll put a oh, link the inside in the, of the shirt how big no, no, are these this, this is in the document maps? this is in the oh, document right, okay i thought you meant they've got like past maps printed on the inside or something there's a there's a brilliant um link which I, i'll yeah i'll send to you ryan i'll put a link in the bio as well but again it, it takes me to, to the point of a real opportunity for obviously wider exposure internationally and for everyone to get you know behind it and i think for us speaking as the athletic you know it's a really big opportunity for us to to add you know the data side of it and it's something charlotte and i 
have spoken about and it brought me to the wider point of how much data and analytics is used within the women's game um, and there was something done I think going back a year ago now um, by our colleague Katie Wyatt and basically looked to see how many WSL clubs are sort of using data um, and there's a company we've spoken about before I think Ryan analytics FC who mm-hmm. are um, who are basically working with multiple clubs um, in the WSL as part of their recruitment strategy so the more data collection that's obviously that occurs across multiple leagues, the the stronger this recruitment strategy can be. And there are other companies who look at this, you know, more as StatsBomb. Um, again, a company we've spoken about, Ryan, they've released free data in the past from the WSL. I know that another company, Metrica Sports, are working more and more with um, women's teams. Nice. Um, as I say, Analytics FC as well. So there's, there's a number of... Um, companies who have got more dedicated work um, for the women's game which was great to to see I think there's still I don't know what you think Charlotte from a media perspective I still think there's a real opportunity to increase the work that we sort of do already maybe on site that I don't think many other media platforms are really doing at all just simple things like shop maps and pass maps and some simple numbers Um, I, I don't know whether I've really seen it elsewhere in the women's game no, I think there is a, a huge potential for that. And, you know, we as analysts and data, whether it's men or women, we love kind of digging deep into that. So um, a lot of the articles that I've written about have been kind of topical, uh, whether that be sports washing or crowd attendances or referees. But, you know, we also want to write about the football um, and uh, get into the nitty gritty of of the data that's available to us and, and we do have it we need to use it um, but on the flip side we have this pool that we can use but also mark and i were talking and saying okay well we can do a really kind of basic squad profile of ages and appearances uh, across the international scale and i said to mark yep just watch out because uh, the data is not necessarily available to us or not necessarily accurate uh, enough for every player uh, or every squad and in real basics like for example players don't have wiki pages mm. like you can't necessarily just scrape wiki and say yep they're that age and they've got that number of appearances because it's either not there or not accurate yeah yeah and that is the the key issue and that's something we absolutely need to improve upon and that's the same obviously from a data perspective if you have garbage going in you have garbage coming out if we don't have accurate data what's the point in reporting on it in the first place so absolutely true um I am conscious of your time, Charlotte. We have taken you for quite long enough. Um, but I think it's been fa- fantastic, Ryan. Do you agree? I think just to get an insight from a professional like Charlotte, just to speak about all manner of topics. Um, Stop it, Mark. Have you enjoyed it as much as I have, Ryan? See, I can return the favour. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Charlotte, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on the Football Fanalytics podcast. It's uh, been great having you. No worries. Um, I loved being on here. And hopefully in a couple of months' time, we'll have a review of where data is at and what the Euros brought us in terms of the data picture in women's football. 100%. Nice one, Charlotte. Thank you. Well, Mark, I have now had the pleasure of speaking to two people from The Athletic. So uh, in in subsequent episodes to come, hopefully that number continues to grow. But I really enjoyed talking to Charlotte. That was a really good chat. Yeah, really fun. It's always, as you say, it's always good to be able to call in a favour with a a friend and a colleague um, and great insight as well from Charlotte. I'll link... I'll link her main profile um, to the from the Athletic um, in the in the bio so that everyone can read it. But there's some specific 
um, articles that we, we reference, which I'll specifically include as well, because she's written up um, some brilliant stuff recently. And she's been part of some real historic moments as well, as I say, the, yeah. the, the, the new camp, over 91,000 fans in attendance. Um, that is unbelievable, isn't it, when you think about it? 91,000 is, is a lot of people. It's brilliant, yeah. So, um, yeah, I remember she wrote a fantastic piece about that as well. So, um, yeah, again, an indication of those those bigger games, which Charlotte explained really eloquently, that those bigger games, when there's more opportunity for more fans to come, um, they are. And, and we've obviously got the, the Euros to come where there'll be even more of that as well. So really exciting times to come. Well, Mark, therein lies my time as a... 20-something-year-old male uh, talking about football on the Football Fanalysts podcast. It's been a pleasure. Uh, to the listeners, I may well be a changed person when I come back. You never know. I might have actually matured slightly. Uh, Deeper un- voice. Unlikely, unlikely, but I can, I can try. Uh, there might be a bit more sort of measured tactic to my talking game i might revert to a different position you just don't know do you i might settle are you gonna use phrases like back in my day and back in my in day. the old days and then in the in the men's game you're gonna call it the premiership and not the premier league because yeah you just forgotten that it's changed yeah i i mean <laughs> I, i'm just gonna start sounding really out of date and uh i'm gonna sound like graham soonis in lots of ways i think from yeah. now on dino soonis dino Roy ryan Keen. Who knows? <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see, won't we? Who knows what's going to happen on the other side? I might be a completely changed person. But anyway, it's been good fun, and uh, we really enjoyed that episode. So, listeners, if you enjoyed that episode, please let us know. Let us know your thoughts on the WSL season. You can get in touch with us, and you know where to do that. We are on social media, at FanalyticsPod. We also have an email address. We are fanalytics.pod at gmail.com. Please do get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts on the episode and any questions, of course, that you would like us to look into in the coming episodes. Mark, it's been a pleasure. I shall see you next time and, uh, and have a great week, everyone. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.